Before I get into talking with Ted, I want to mention how truly sorry I am for the victims, students, families, and members of the Oxford community in regards to the tragedy that has occurred recently. As a member of the Oxford community, my heart has sunk and I cannot begin to imagine what it's like to be a family member of someone who lost their life or a family member of someone who was severely affected. The community of Oxford will remain in my thoughts and prayers and I ask that they remain in everyone else's as well as they are dealing with this truly tough situation. They have my full support and I will do what I can to help out. Hashtag Oxford Strong. Welcome back to Talking with Ted. I'm Ted. Today, my guest is someone that I have had on the show before, and he was phenomenal then, and he was phenomenal again today. But before I introduce him, I'd like to talk about two other podcasts that I really want you to go check out on any type of podcasting platform, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anything like that. Please go look up the True Critic Podcast and Did I Stutter? The True Critic Podcast is Jake Ryquest's podcast in which he analyzes movies, break down uh, you know, what he's looking for in movies and his top 10 lists and things of that nature. And Did I Stutter is a show exclusively on The Office. It's with my buddy Josh Slayton and again Jake Ryquest and we debunk The Office and talk about our favorite parts and least favorite parts of that show. Please go check out both of those podcasts. Again, those are on any type of streaming service that uh, has podcasts. The other thing I want to mention is the Mini Pro Locker. I started working with the Mini Pro Locker, and it is awesome. I think it's a great idea. It's a foldable shelf that you can put up in the dugout during a baseball game. Holds all your gear, bats, batting gloves, batting helmet, your glove, um, your sunflower seeds, anything of that nature. Makes it super easy to access, super easy to use. Um, I think it's a great idea, and I started working and uh, helping with some of the marketing with that company, and I really think that's a good idea. I think you should go check it out on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, um, or go check us out online, or if you want to purchase one for Christmas uh, or the holidays. I know that the holidays are coming up. I think it'd be a great gift for a young little slugger. Uh, please go check it out, again, on all social media, uh, just mini pro locker. The other person I have to shout out, of course, is Kevin Cordy. I had Kevin Cordy on my podcast a little while ago, and he was kind enough to let me use one of his songs that he created as my theme song. Uh, and, and I absolutely love it. It's called Get Bent on his SoundCloud. His SoundCloud name is Nonfarms. Again, that's Kevin Cordy, Nonfarms. Super thankful that he let me use one of his songs as my theme song. Now, I am currently sitting here with Jake Ryquist. So you you started uh, these these new movies. You got this new movie app, Letterboxd. Yeah, Letterboxd is how <laughs> they say it. Yeah, I. Uh, so I was doing Twitter and you know for a long time, and I would put, I started putting some of my Letterboxd reviews on Twitter, mm -hmm. like the ones that were more thorough and that I thought out more. But if you go on Letterboxd and, like, go to some of your favorite movies and read the reviews, a lot of them are, like, really sarcastic. Mm -hmm. And it's hilarious. And there's actually an account on Twitter that's uh, – actually, I forget what the handle is, but it's, like, something like Letterboxd Reviews. And they just post, like, reviews. They just screenshot them straight off Letterboxd and put them on Twitter. Like, there's one on Letterboxd that has, like, 100,000 likes. Um, and it was for Joker from two years ago. Mm -hmm. And somebody – the only review – or like the only part of the review was uh, one sentence and it just said this happened to my buddy Eric <laughs> and like <laughs> that just that. went viral on Twitter so I was like what the hell is this app I gotta <laughs> see this 
And so I found out what it was. And then I found out a bunch of like my um, fellow classmates at Grand Valley are on mm-hmm. it. Um, one of my professors is on it. One of my professors that I really like talking to about movies is on it. And he was like, yeah, you should follow me on Letterboxd. So I did that. And yeah, I just, I think it's a way better way to discuss movies because you can talk about movies in a humorous way. Like I mentioned, some reviews are really sarcastic, but then there are other ones that are like really thorough and really well thought out. Mm-hmm. And a lot of professional critics have their own letterbox profile. Really? Well, they'll, they'll, po- they'll post like the first like probably paragraph or two of their review for a certain movie and then put a link to the full review on their website mm-hmm. or whatever publication they work for. It's so like, it, like I said, there's just, you get a lot of variety and it's all movies. So right. like I love Twitter, but you know, as somebody, when I go on Twitter and I go on like the true critic profile, I'm obviously going on to look at movie related things. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, like I'll get a movie thing and then, you know, it's some sports thing and Twitter being like, Oh, you might want to read about this. I'm like, I don't, I just want to read about <laughs> movies. So that's why I love Letterboxd. It's all movies. It's only movie reviews, but it works pretty much like any other social media site. So I've been loving it. And that's, yeah. I mean, I spend more time on that app than I do Instagram or Twitter now. And I, I just got the app. Mm-hmm. What do you think about my reviews? I'm just curious. I want to, I want to hear your take. I, I've only read your Shutter Island and your Raw and Hereditary. I think you only have like five, but those yeah. are the only three I read. Yeah. They're good. Really? Like I said, I, I when I texted you, I told you that I like how I, I can really tell you're trying to yeah. view movies through a different lens now. Oh, I like yeah. Uh huh. And yeah. It, it, it can be tough because, I mean, watching movies is a big, like you, I'm I multitask when I'm watching movies. You do because like you want a movie to have an emotional effect on you, and like you can't that can't happen unless you're getting lost in the story. Right. So that's one part of me watching movies but then the other part of me is extremely technical and like looking at you know cinematography sound production design but also you know but i'm also worried about form and like how they're telling their story how they're differentiating themselves from similar movies but i also want to be emotionally impacted when i watch it so like i said it's multitasking and you know that's why i like to rewatch movies because when i rewatch a movie that i saw when i was say 16 and i'll be like oh the like pretentious 16 year old me was like oh the cinematography was not up to par on this film but then i watch it now and i realize what it's doing with form and what it's doing with its story mm-hmm. how it's manipulating the audience for example like or just like what it's doing with its characters i i find myself appreciating movies a lot more and sometimes like that i didn't like when i was younger mm-hmm. and sometimes movies that i loved when i was younger appreciating a lot less uh i was just gonna say now you mm-hmm. see me when i watch that again mm-hmm, there you go i think it's a really cool idea yeah, but I think the execution is pretty freaking poor. There you go. Yeah, like now you, you see ruined me. it for me. Yeah, see now Way you see go. me. I saw when I was like thirteen, and I knew then that it was bad. So okay, well, it's it's not a competition. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but hey, that's what's great about Letterbox though is like, I, I can watch a movie now, and then when I watch it again a year from now, like I can then I can re-review it without having to like adjust my previous review so it's like you can just like constantly update stuff on the same movie and it's almost like a timeline mm-hmm. so it's like you know and it'll be like this is your fifth rewatch of this movie mm-hmm. and, you, and it's it's cool because people don't like to admit that opinions can change mm-hmm. and everybody's just so full of themselves and they're like well i said this once so i kind of have to stick by it and it's <laughs> like no like i'm gonna be honest with you like i i'll give you an example when i saw um ready player one mm-hmm for the first time, 2018, so 17-year-old me, I was a junior in high school, I was like, oh, that movie is sick. <laughs> they go into The Shining. Like, the what? <laughs> and I've seen it, I think, three three or four times now, 
and we're actually about to watch it in one of my classes uh, when we get back from break. And I can't wait because th- that movie's dog shit. <laughs> like it's <laughs> trash. Like it's really it's it's entertaining. There are and there are aspects about it I love, like scenes. But when you boil it down, like that movie is strictly designed to just manipulate the audience and just have you be like, oh, I know what that is. That <laughs> that that's a that's a gorilla. That's King Kong. <laughs> And it's like, well, and then they, and then this, because the story is just basic as shit. Yeah. It's just like this down on his luck, like, no, jeez, life's really got the best of me. <laughs> and he, like, he, he has this super generic, inciting incident where he finds exactly what he needs, <laughs> and he finds this thing, and which the egg in this uh, specific incident, but and then so like, in the, but then that creates a bunch of problems for him. And he's like, well, what am I gonna do about it? <laughs> And he's like, I got all these problems, and then you know, it seems like he's not going to be able to solve the problem. And then guess what? He does, and everybody's oh. like, Oh my god! <laughs> they did that, and they're, and they're playing all arcade games the whole time. That is fun. It's cool. I got, I got you going. Yeah, it's a bad movie. I, it's a bad movie, and like, I'm excited. I'm excited to watch it again because. Yeah. And you know, opinions change though, because yeah. like, man, I fucking loved that movie when I first saw it. Well, I was but just going to say, my, the two examples that come to my head are, first of all, Us, which mm-hmm. I hated the first mm-hmm. time I watched it. And I, at this point in time, I still don't like Uncut Gems, but mm. I'm willing to rewatch it based on how I've been viewing movies lately. Good. That's all I'm asking for is an open mind. I mean, an open mind. Mm-hmm. Uncut Gems, since I saw it for the first time in December 2019, I've seen it start to finish seven times and that's like that's kind of weird i feel like (laughs) like i feel like movies if you really really like them should be a once or twice a year thing it hasn't even been two full years yet and i've seen it seven times i think i've seen whiplash close to that many times Mm -hmm. that's how you know it's special yeah well Mm -hmm. it's you know what it's my favorite it's funny because i talk to you and when i talk to you i feel like the inferior movie watcher (laughs) which i think is safe to say I, okay, I don't look at it like that, but okay. No, but, but I just mean, like, I think there's things that you point out that I would have never thought of, and that's how I'm learning to watch movies. Okay, that's really cool. That was a good compliment. Thank you. Yeah, oh, sure, <laughs> sure. Um, and then when I'm at school at Albion, and we have a movie club, and when we watch movies, I bring out, like, I talk about shots and, mm-hmm. like, dialogue, and did you ever watch American Psycho? I haven't rewatched it since you have, but I've seen it before. Okay, so there... Go ahead, try. I don't know how. Okay, so if you remember, like, he's very, um, throughout the whole movie, you don't get very many shots where you see his whole face. Mm -hmm. Like, he either has a mask on, or there's a shadow, or he's behind, like, there's just always something going on with his face. And in fact, like, the scene at the end, his face is, like, Mm -hmm. in mostly shadow. I was like, you know what, I... Because based on that ending, I don't want to spoil anything for anyone listening, but based on that ending, the reason I picked my ending was because of that, of that they chose not to show his Mm -hmm. face often. And I was kind of like, well, it's this mask kind of thing, you know? And they're like, you're crazy. Like, there's no, like, why would that have anything? I'm like, the director chose to not show his Mm -hmm. face in every scene. I think I just completely confused everybody when I said that. Do you know what I'm... No, I know exactly (laughs) what you mean. That yeah, like looking at stuff like that during movies is important because yeah. people, the average movie goer doesn't really think about it a lot. I feel like they know it, but they don't think about it a lot. Mm-hmm. Not a single shot in any movie is there by accident. Yeah, 
every single thing is yeah very meticulous and it takes forever to put together and i mean as somebody i just spent an entire semester at school putting together a short film it took us three months to put it together and we knew storyboards everything mm-hmm. like we knew this shot was going here we need to shoot this shot now it's going to take us this long to shoot this shot and this is going to go here it went in the final cut but we're going to shoot it now and it's like and then imagine that sort of and we had that amount of focus when we had an eleven hundred dollar budget that we raised ourselves now imagine if you have a hundred million dollars yeah you're gonna know that movie like the back of your hand right and people are and so like when i bring up specific shots like that and like specific decisions where like an american psycho a repeat decision to like not show his entire face Mm -hmm. and when i bring that up to people they're like like I don't know if it like if it really means that much. Exactly. And people are like, oh, I think you're just reading too far into it. And I'm like, no, like it's it's very purposeful. Yeah. Like you and I were just talking about um, Shutter Island, yeah. a movie that we both watched relatively recently, mm-hmm. and we we're talking about the editing. And I appreciate the editing because it's very, it's very quick and it's om- it's jumpy, it's like jittery almost. Mm-hmm. Something will happen in one shot, and it'll have like a shot reverse shot, say of like two characters engaging in a conversation. And it'll show one character and quickly cut back to the other, but like something will be slightly different about the frame than it was before. Mm-hmm. And so you, you as the viewer, even like an average movie goer, you're kind of just like, huh? Like when you're watching it, like you know something's off. Right. And they do that a lot throughout the movie. Yeah. And so I appreciate that knowing the ending. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm going to spoil Shutter Island because it's 11 years old. So like you knowing that he's this actually this patient at this mental asylum mm-hmm. and you know the whole movie's being told from his perspective you see mm-hmm. how fragmented his his yeah. head is and how he thinks that he's this US marshal still that's like you know got everything figured out and he's a sleuth detective and but really you know things are falling apart and just right in front of him and he doesn't even see it right so that's one of the aspects of that movie I did appreciate I do think a lot of that movie's problematic though but like like I said though every single little detail right. the, every single cut in that movie whether you liked it or not or found it as impactful as another viewer, like, it's purposeful. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And you're a big Leo and Scorsese fan. Yeah. I think um, as far as director-actor duos go, like, you kind of have to I'm not sure I've top. seen any of their movies other than that one and Wolf of Wall Street. Or do they have any other? Yeah, so it's um, – I'll try to do chronological order here, but I might off the dome with no phone in front of me. So they did <laughs> Aviator in 2004. Okay. And then it was – um, Departed was 06, um, and then Shutter Island was 2010, Wolf was 2013. They have a movie coming out next year called Killers of the Flower Moon, I think, which is based on a book. I don't know a ton about it yet. Um, so, I so might be missing one or two, but they have okay. at least four. I want to say five. I think Wolf of Wall Street's the only one I've seen that mm-hmm. in Shutter Island. You should watch Departed. I, I was going to say, I loved Wolf of Wall Street. I did not like Shutter Island. Yeah. I, Shutter much. Island, sh- of yeah. the four that I mentioned, Shutter Island's easily my least favorite yeah but yeah i love wolf i love uh, departed's my favorite of that four aviator's really solid too it's a really, really great leo performance i'm gonna go on to my letterboxd mm-hmm. app why don't you why don't you add those to your watch list huh? that's what i'm gonna do right now um but yeah it's like i bring up these points and i feel like an idiot because everyone in the mm-hmm. room's like what the story didn't make like we just watched lighthouse mm-hmm. okay and one Tough of group watch oh Tough group watch. Just a tough <laughs> watch. I mean, yeah. I'm going to be honest. I I put it at a 7.5 out of 10. And mm-hmm. I'm... Because it's so not straightforward, it's very frustrating. Yeah. And you can agree with me. And you yeah. love that. I don't uh-huh. think I'm at a point where I love that yet. 
<laughs> I, yeah. Well, I like movies that challenge the audience with um, intention. Right. Like, I like Tenet, I think, is just a bunch of bullshit. The Christopher Nolan movie from last yeah. year. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think that's Christopher Nolan being self-indulgent, pretentious, and being like, what if we did this, but it's actually happening now, and this is happening in reverse. <laughs> and then it's like when you see the movie the first time, you're like, you're like, yeah, that was cool to look at, but what was that? Right, exactly. And that's <laughs> how then, I felt with Shutter Island. Right, yeah. yeah. And then you watch it again, and you're like, okay, oh, I get it now. And then, especially, this was me with Tenet, I was like, that's a really, really straightforward, like, James Bond-esque story when you unscramble it. Yeah. Like, the the plot of, like, Mission Impossible is more, I should say the story of Mission Impossible is, like, more intricate than that. Mm -hmm. it's, just a su it's just a simple, like, evil guy wants to take down the world and there's a hero to stop him. Yeah. But it's like, well, what if I put this in front of this and this in front of that? And it's like, okay, just, like, at the end of the day. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, like, so, since I saw Tenet a second time, I have had zero urge to rewatch it. But then there's movies that intentionally challenge their um their audience like um let me think about something. Like, you know, like The Lighthouse, there's a lot of A24 movies I think. Um I mean Robert Eggers, the guy who directed it, also has mm -hmm. a movie The Witch. He's got a movie coming out next year. His movies, for example, like they challenge the audience. They're slow, methodical, and extremely <laughs> metaphorical mm -hmm. as as like you see now. Yeah. And so because of that, I'm I'm encouraged to rewatch it because I know what he's trying I know he's trying to say something beneath the surface right whereas with Tenet for example it was all surface level it was just scrambled around like in just messing with like plot order right and so it's like okay sick yeah but I think when you do it with a purpose and you're really trying to get the audience to think in ways they haven't thought before mm -hmm. that's when you know I, you have a good movie I have a couple I have a couple criteria for what makes an excellent movie let's hear one the fir well, the first one I know through and through, it's a good movie if I'm thinking about it days after yes. I saw it. Yep. The second one, this one is, it's like, I shouldn't, these are like 1A, 1B. Okay. These go hand in hand. You know you're watching a great movie if while you're watching it, you forget you're watching a movie. Yes. That's what I, that's why I love Shawshank Redemption so yep. much. That mm -hmm. is like, because I've seen that movie a bunch of times, and every time I watch it, I forget I'm watching a movie. Right. And then... This is, I guess, two slash three, but um, it's one that like changes, changes, forces you to think a way that you normally wouldn't have. Changes mm -hmm. your perspective, and so like that's why I really appreciate sci-fi movies, like classic sci-fi's like um, yeah. Blade Runner, but even like newer sci-fi from Denis Villeneuve, like Arrival, really like changed my perspective and made me look at things differently. But then the, even movies like Uncut Gems will. Same with Taxi Driver, a movie that I recommended to you, like. Mm -hmm. There's it's it's not I shouldn't say it's not hard to do because it is, making movies is extremely difficult but like I'm a, I'm an easy man to please I just want originality and stuff that I haven't seen before right and that's kind of hard to come by these days yeah so um I what I think makes a good movie in my eyes mm -hmm. at least like if I look at my top ten movies. I think seven eight maybe nine of them I think really just challenge society mm -hmm. even if it's like not at all outright like i always talk about the incredibles mm -hmm. okay the more i think about the incredibles i love it and we talk about we've, we've we talked about the incredibles and syndrome last time i think yeah you're on here. i remember that but i just the the idea that syndrome you know 
what he's doing is trying to make everybody equal. And Mr. Like, a lot of movies are about, like, trying to make everybody equal and, you know, and saving everybody and everybody is super whatever. And, you know, the villain wants to, like, Thanos wants to kill half the people or, you know, the people that, you know, Kingsman, right, he's got the select group of people that are going to survive. And it's the opposite, where the villain wants everyone to be equal and the heroes want there to be differences within people. And just that, like, that is just a challenge on society. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Like, oh, yeah. I, <laughs> no, dude. Yeah, movies That's like that. That's what I love. Yeah, yeah, movies like that that make you think about society in that big on that big of like a scale um but you would never think about it watching the incredible oh like no. that's what's crazy mm-hmm. well when well, you start to watch movies yeah, like I you say, and I are, yeah, 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 I mean, yeah you will and but that's the thing and then once you think about that on that big of a scale i think ultimately too you start to think about self yes. too and, and then like your own relationships with people and I, I i love movies like that and i love the incredibles and i think uh movies where they try to tackle something as big as or i shouldn't say they want you to think on a societal scale mm-hmm. so, something that comes to mind even though it's not a movie is squid game because i didn't watch that i i watched most of it and i know how it ends and here's here's my issue with it squid game is a cool concept but it's not a story so like squid game for which i i might botch this because like i said i watched a, a handful of episodes out of order mm-hmm. so it's <laughs> 400 some people put in this game and they're all in extreme debt mm-hmm. and if they win the game you know if they're the last person standing they win all this money and they're out of debt but if you lose you die right so it's a really cool concept because then it's like who's at fault here is this morally okay right and so there's a lot of great ethical questions but then it's kind of like they put the people in they play the games and it's like oh cool but then it's like now what you know so it's like then you get your last person standing and it's like they win and then it's just like over <laughs> and so it's kind of like and they try to do this just like bullshit twist of like no one of the players is actually the creator of oh. the game and i'm like no no th- no that's <laughs> not no let's not do that that's preposterous and so i think sometimes when filmmakers try to tackle these big epics where it's like mm, what if you know society was like this it's yeah. all really cool on paper but it's kind of like there's not a story there. See, there's all there's all sorts of like ethical questions like that. Like, I mean, the the ta- the question is old as time. Like, and it's in the office even. The, is it better to be loved or be feared? Yeah. Like that's a great question to ask yourself when you're making your movie. But that's not a story. Right. You can make a story centered around that question, but at the end of the day, that's not a story. Right. And so I think a lot of people, a lot of filmmakers today, when they have the freedom to express their ideas, sacrifice story for the sake of like a cool ethical argument. Right. And I wish it wasn't like that. Or just the twist. The twist, yeah. And like, you know, I, I was thinking about this on the way here because I was like, well, I'm going to talk with Ted. We are probably going to end up talking about Shutter Island because <laughs> it's a one movie we have seen. And I really wanted to talk about it too. And I want, and I thought about a movie that works as a good companion piece with it in my mind. Okay. And it's a b- movie we both love. It's in your top five all time. It's Us, actually. Okay. Okay, so after I finished Shutter Island, I brought something up to you, and it was Alfred Hitchcock's distinction between suspense and surprise. Yes. Surprise is putting a bunch of people in a room, and the room just suddenly explodes. Mm-hmm. Suspense is showing a room 
showing there's a bomb tape to the bottom of the table and bringing a bunch of people in to talk in the room and letting the audience wait for when the explosion's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So that's the distinction between the two. And then I asked you, which one do you think is more effective? And you were like, oh, definitely suspense. Mm-hmm. I think so, too. Yeah. And so I think us and both, well, I should say us and Shutter Island both have a twist ending. So twist endings, which are surprises. Mm-hmm. I mean, they can work. They cannot work. I personally think in Shutter Island, I mean, it works in the sense where it's like, oh, but then it's like. Well, well it's, it's, it's if you think about it like on a graph, okay, because I'm a math guy, like. A surprise, your your int- like your your focus, your happiness like shoots up and then it's just gone right away. Mm-hmm. Whereas like suspense, you're steadily increasing. Yeah, and like a surprise is really cool at that one moment, but once yeah. it's there, it it's gone. Right, you're not going to be surprised exactly. again. And yes, so this is where I feel like us is a lot better than Shutter Island too. Um, so like I said, they both have twist endings, and the whole time leading up to Shutter Island, I don't think there's much suspense. Mm-hmm. I think there's just a lot of mystery and intrigue mm-hmm. where it's a character will have a conversation with another character and it'll just be very vague and you know, like, Leo will be talking with Mark Ruffalo and he'll be like, Chucky, something's going on here, I'm telling <laughs> you. They're, they're, they're doing something at this hospital that they don't want us to know. And Mark Ruffalo would just be like, ah, Come on, Teddy, you're just looking too deep into things. Right. And so it's just like these vague conversations where you're like, okay, clearly something's going on. And it's just like they're just going to tell me at some point. That's not suspenseful. Right. Suspense is, like I said, knowing there's a bomb under the table. Right. This is just, well, there might be something under the table, but you have no idea what it is. Could be a bomb, could be a piece of gum. Right. And it's like that's not suspenseful in my mind. So that way when the twist is revealed, you're just kind of like, Oh, okay, so that's what they were talking about. Yeah, and it's like, well, especially Shutter Island's two hours and like ten minutes or something. But you know, us is two hours too. It's it's but, you know, Shutter but Island suspense. is about fifteen minutes long. So yes, let me talk about us yeah. for a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So us, the twist happens. You know, you you get this reveal that I forget the lead character's name. It's like Adeline. 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 Yep. Yeah. So like you know, she switched with that child when they were younger, and you know, so they're actually been separate or switched this whole time. And so it's like, that's a cool twist. And you're like, oh, wow, that puts some stuff into perspective, which is, you know, it's a twist. It's a surprise. Some people saw it coming. Some people didn't. Mm-hmm. And it's like, cool, whatever. But Us is so rewarding as a rewatch because it's so suspenseful. Yes. Like, suspense is you're you're just about to go to bed in your vacation home and four people that show exact that look exactly like the four people in the house show up on the driveway and break in. I got chills just when you said that. <laughs> that's that's suspense because yeah. then it's like that's setting that you set that scene and it's like well, well now what? Yeah. Uh, so you like and then you're stand you're at the fireplace and you're just looking at each other. You're standing three feet away from each other, eye to eye. Yeah. Now what? And so it's like every time like my palms are sweating when I'm watching that movie because yeah. it's like they just set these scenes and it's so simple. Mm-hmm. That's the difference between us and Shutter Island. It's like you're in this situation, like you have to get out of it, go. Mm-hmm. Like you, and it's like you're being chased down. Like for in for the daughter and us, you're you're really athletic, and this person is built exactly like you, and they're chasing you. How are you gonna get away from them? Right. And so it's like just extremely simple. But in Shutter Island, they're like. Oh, what if she's going to the caves? What's going on in the lighthouse over there? Oh, what about Ward B and C? Ah, Chucky, what's going on? Yeah. And it's like, it's just like it's so it's just like so much 
mystery and intrigue and it it just gets redundant to me yeah. at some point where it's kind of like like you're not you're not smarter than me you're not trying you're not fooling me i yeah. know i'm gonna get some sort of big reveal that's gonna put this all in a perspective and so when you get that rewatch it's just it's just it's kind of lame mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's the kind of the term that comes to mind whereas us it's like these collections of scenes that just keep every single scene like it just builds and builds and builds and then the scene ends and you're like whoo now i get a second to breathe and then it's just another one right after right, that right so that's why i, I love watching us because it's just an adrenaline ride because of all the suspense and then and then the like the twist ending like it's just like kind of like a cherry on top like right you, you can watch it for clues Ooh, if you want to watch it again for that reason mm-hmm. I, I watch it for the suspense right which is something that i think shutter island seriously lacks well, and you think about it, too, and if you read my review, I think I said something like, hey, Scorsese, you ever heard of silence? Uh-huh. Because sometimes that is literally what draws you into bed. Like, he uses a lot of music and suspenseful music and people, like, uh, again, I don't know that it, it's Leo DiCaprio's fault or s- the writing or what, but I just felt like so many conversations, and, and you made a good point, He's he, he thinks he's a detective, so, like, Mm-hmm. He's talking normally, and then he immediately just goes into yelling and sh- and hitting the table, yeah. and I just was kind of like, I di- I'm really ju- I'm not buying it. Like yeah. I just thought that was like, or like, um, I think it was Shutter Island where it wasn't jump scares, but it was things that happened, and there was a loud noise that just kind of like startled you. I think that was Shutter Island. Uh, you, I know you and I talked a lot about the music in Shutter Island. Yeah, and just how loud it was. And, for it, and, no and I was reason. like, that's just that's cheap. It's cheap, uh-huh. you know. Like I, I see. I had a, I had a great conversation with this about about so score is the background music in movies, mm-hmm. um, in like, you know, like the in uh, like Jurassic Park, it's that. Mm-hmm. So score is that instrumental that doesn't have any words. It's not throwing a popular song in a movie. So I was talking about this with one of my professors, and he was he made a great point. He said like the best scores are the ones, you know, where you don't notice them right away because yeah. scores are put in a movie basically to tell the audience how they should feel. Mm-hmm. So, like, with that Jurassic Park example, when that song plays, that's when you see the dinosaurs for the first time. So, like, as an audience member, you're supposed to be, like, completely in awe, like, sinking into your seat, like, oh, shit, w- I've never seen anything like this. What is happening? This is the coolest thing I've ever seen. Right. And then in Shutter Island, though... <laughs> It's like a basic conversation <coughs> between mm-hmm. yes. Leo and Mark Ruffalo. And, like, they, for example, they just get off the ferry. They just get to Shutter Island. And he's like, ah, oh, I don't know about this one, Teddy. Something don't seem too right about this place, huh? And then it's just like, boom, boom, yeah, exactly. And I'm like, okay, like, I get it. I'm supposed to feel, like, how the dread and the just how, like, evil this place is. And it's like, yeah. I'm I'm just a big believer. Less is more, mm-hmm. and so I yeah I thought the music is incredibly distracting and just so on the nose. Yeah, like there's just no subtlety to it whatsoever. Yeah, he's like they're like oh Leo's off by himself in the scary ward Ward C of the of Shutter Island. Hmm, what should we do here? How about blah, blah? and I'm <laughs> like no. And you you made that great point about silence. Yeah, if Leo's lurking through these dark hallways, not knowing what's going to jump out at him, silence is way more effective than yes. something trying to tell me how to feel. Yeah, and because like it, you should be able to like, I think about all that. What, what movie was I watching? Um, okay, The Visit, which I know is a terrible movie. No, I mean it's 
I know a lot of people that like that movie. Actually, I, I, I I've only seen it once, and I, I have I rewatched like it. it. And I, the second time, third time, I was like, because again, there's a twist, and once I mm-hmm. knew the twist was coming, like, okay, but in movie in the movie theater, what it there was in the movie there was silence at some point where it was like towards the end, it was very scary, and the lady like two rows behind me dropped her phone, like on the ground. That scared the living piss out of me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's like anything going on in the world should scare you because yeah. you're so into this movie and you're kind of forget, like you said, you're forgetting you're there mm-hmm. that whatever you hear. Oh, yeah. Whereas music blasting in your ear just takes you out of that. I know. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. And it's not even just horror movies or movies that are or sequences that are supposed to scare you. Like one of my favorite theater experiences and one of my favorite movies of the past 10 years or so is uh, Mad Max Fury Road. In that movie, it's like an adrenaline rush of mm-hmm. just action, and it's like nonstop for almost for two hours. And so there, but there's very brief breaks in the movie mm-hmm. where it's like, okay, we're gonna slow down for sixty seconds, and then we're gonna get back into it. So catch your breath. Mm-hmm. And when I saw that for the theater, saw that in the theater for the very first time, I remember I saw it the Friday that it came out. I went to the Oxford Seven, and like it, the theater was almost full, which is an, uh, the best way to view a movie like that, in my opinion. And so you get through this first giant action scene. There's a sandstorm and everything, and you have so much noise. There's the noise of the sandstorm. There's the noise of these flames spewing out of these cars. You got like gears turning, engines running, and it's just like pure, like frenetic chaos for mm-hmm. like, almost like 30 minutes straight. And then like s- the scene just like hard cuts, and it's complete silence. And you just see the the car that our protagonists are in just like sitting there. And there was, I remember a lady in front of me and a guy behind me that just both, the lady in front of me was like, oh my God. And like she said that to the person next to her and the guy behind me was just like, oh, f-. like, <laughs> and, it, and it was just like that silence yeah. where people were like, whoa, like I feel like I can breathe again. It's yeah. like silence can be used in that way too. Yeah. Yeah. And I just remember like sound, people don't realize and people need to talk about it more. I'm, I think s- sound is almost, it's Sound might be more important than image when it comes to movies, which is, I know, might sound crazy, but sound, do it's make or break for a movie, honestly. I, I agree. I mean, people are going to be like, well, there'd be no movie without image. But mm-hmm. I think what you're trying to say is what's more effective. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I, I think about this a lot with myself because I've heard people say sound is more important. And I don't know if I agree with that, but I would say they're of equal importance. Well, yeah, I mean that's what I would say. Well, it's people, and and you know this comes like what, like I think the sh- the shot, quote unquote, the shot, the shot composition, the cinematography of a movie is incredibly important, and it can really elevate the story. Mm-hmm. But what you do with sound too, very important, can can change a movie. I agree. Like, I mean, I'm trying to think, like, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to think of a specific example, and it's tough just off the just off my head, but. Like, for example, like, Uncut Gems is, mm-hmm. like, the sound of that movie, there's always talking. Like, yes. when he's in his yes. shop talking yep. to Kevin Garnett, it's him talking to him, but there's also four other conversations around him going on at the same time. So you, as the viewer, are s- just incredibly overwhelmed yeah. by the scene. And it's just a conversation in a jewelry store. But that's just helping to... Mm-hmm. And that it's setting the tone. Right. It's doing so much more than... Than people ever think about, and I, I just, I really admire what the power of sound, honestly. Um, I want to ask you a quick question about Uncut Gems. Uh-huh. I 
So I watched it once in theaters, and then I tried to watch it again. And at that mm-hmm. point in time, I still hated the movie, so I stopped watching it. Mm-hmm. What is the importance of the first scene where they're actually getting that gem? In Ethiopia? Yeah. Um, I have heard, you know, I think it comes down to greed. I think it's a it's a like visual metaphor for greed because like you see the guy pulled out of the cave his like bone is literally coming out of his leg mm-hmm. see guys deep in this cave and they just get this opal mm-hmm. you zoom into the opal and then you see howard's life yeah and howard's life he's just an asshole jeweler right buys this for a hundred grand and thinks it was worth a mil a million and then you get that speech from kevin garnett at the end of the movie where he's like you bought this for a hundred grand thought it was a million and it's like He's like, like, why, like, yeah. why do that? Why not just like let the Ethiopian people have the million dollars? And Adam Sandler's character is like, well, I, I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but he's like, well, I gave him a hundred grand. You don't know what a hundred grand is to these people. Yeah. And it's so it's I think it's kind of just like, well, you saw how they're living. Yeah. So I mean, you want to be okay. able to see where Adam Sandler's coming from, but at the same time, if you gave somebody living in that situation a million dollars, I mean. You can, I mean, there the opportunities are endless for them, yeah. and I mean, it's also just like a juxtaposition of like living situations. Honestly, like oh, Howard, yeah. Howard gets that opal and he just like tosses it around, and he's just like, well, no, you, yeah, you can take it, but give me this as collateral. But then once I get that opal back, I need to have it at the auction by Monday. Yeah, and it's like, so he's just like, t- it's clearly just an object to him. Right. But when they find it in that first scene too, they pull, they pull it out of the wall, they find it, they clean it off, and they're like. Like, the two guys who get it, they, like, look at each other. They're like, we just found gold. And then it, like, literally zooms into the opal, and it's, like, it's, like, a cosmic wasteland of, like, limitless opportunity. So, like, the opal, I mean, the scene's clearly, like I said, purposeful because nothing in a movie is accidental. Right. I think a lot of it just comes back to greed and selfishness, pretty much. I just, as we were thinking about it, I was like, you know, if I'm going to rewatch it, I was just like, how does it start again? And I was like... I remember both times just being like, I don't really get that. Yeah, and it's funny that you bring that up, too. Um, one of my professors, he's actually a film director. His name's Joel Petrikas. He's incredibly insightful, and I like love taking his class. Mm-hmm. Um, he, uh, he was talking to us in class the other day about how important the first shot of your movie is. Yeah. And he was like, it, that sets the stage. If your first shot is shit, like, how, el- how are you going to bring the audience in? Right. And so when you come into an Adam Sandler movie, I mean, I shouldn't say that, but like when you come into a movie knowing it's about Adam Sandler in a more serious role and he's a New York jeweler, that's like a piece of shit. Yeah. And your first shot is this giant wide shot of an Ethiopian mine in 2010. Yeah. You're kind of like, what? And like, then am the, I in the right, the am I in the right movie? Yeah. And then, yeah. And then it's extreme. That shot is like brutal. It it's is. so gruesome. It really is. Yeah. And so, like, you, you, you almost have this, like, sit back in your seat, like, is this, am I in the right movie? And I, I think that's really effective, honestly. And then, yeah, it like it causes us to have conversations like this where you think about why would they open the movie with that? Yeah. And I think it's kind of cool because usually you don't really understand the theme of a movie per se until the very end. And it's I think it's kind of cool that they put their, like, their theme, what they're trying to say part of it at least just right in the beginning yeah it's like this is this is how different it is out there and then i mean just how we treat this like such an object and it's like literally life and death for them out there yeah i like that yeah the other movie 
I want to talk to you about is Midsommar or Midsummer. Uh, yeah. I don't know how intellectual of a conversation I'll be able to have on this one, oh, but okay. I'm, I'm open to trying. I just wanted to say, having watched that, first of all, has Ari Aster written and directed any other movies besides those two, Midsommar and Hereditary, that you know no. of? No. Mm -mm, no features. And he is. No features. He just works shorts. with. Oh, shorts. Uh -huh. He works with A24, doesn't he? They have distributed, yeah, yeah. both of his features. Um, I. So I love Hereditary, and I watched that first. Mm -hmm. And watching Midsommar, I found it to be very similar in a lot of ways. Yeah. Especially with the shots he had. Like, I don't know if you know, but in Hereditary, if you remember the shot of. Annie running down the hallway towards the end in Joan's apartment. It starts upside down. Mm -hmm. it, yeah, turn. Or maybe it starts normal and it finishes upside down. Does the camera like turn? It's or like, is it's it like, like a stationary move or, it's or is it like tilting up and down? It's like on the roof and it shows her and then it follows her yeah. and then as yeah, she's yeah, down, yeah, it's yeah. upside down. Uh -huh. That one shot is also used in Midsommar. Well, that's part of his style. Yeah, so I that's so that, so that way when he includes that, you when you watch that movie, subconsciously like, oh, this must be Ari Aster. If you didn't know who was directing, yeah, I yeah. did at that yeah. time. But I was, do, is that? I'm, I'm curious. Is that a? Because when I watched it, I immediately was like, okay, this is really similar to another movie. Mm -hmm. Do you think that that happens to play a role in how you view the movie? As in, like, instead of. Because like when I watched it with Hereditary, I, wa I watched it, I was like, oh, that was cool. But I was mm -hmm. still watching the movie. Mm -hmm. But when I watched Midsommar and I saw it, I s just started thinking about another movie. Yeah. Instead of, like, I guess my point is, does, is that a good thing? Is it a, is it, is it a bad thing? Mm -hmm. Is it just... I'm going I'm to answer it in two ways. Okay. One is that people, myself included, need to realize that movie making is just stealing. Like... Every single thing, like, as somebody interested in making films, I watch other people's films, and I'm like, and they do something cool with the camera, I'm like, I'm going to do that in my movie. Mm -hmm. And it's the same for big-time Hollywood people. Like, I mean, like, I'll t uh, Ari Aster probably watches a Paul Thomas Anderson movie and is like, oh, he, I really loved what he did at this part and There Will Be Blood. I'm going to put that in Midsommar. Mm -hmm. And so it's like people just need to realize that, like, it's a collaborative art. I mm -hmm. mean, it's like, it's it's inspiration. It's seeing what you take. It's seeing what other people do. And it's like, how can you do that? How can you do that better? And like, what did you think was so effective about that in the first place? So I think, you know, and yes, it can be overdone to a point where I think you're just like stealing somebody's entire style. But, you know, taking bits and pieces here and there to contribute to your own style, that's part of filmmaking. That's part of art in general. Right. So, I I mean, I, I think it's good. Yeah. Like, you should be stretching you're stretching your vision as much as you can. And mm -hmm. if and if somebody if somebody else or somebody else's work inspires you, like, yeah, take advantage of it. And but I just hope you like mention mention it if you're ever asked about it. But then as f uh, the other way I want to answer that is as far as moving the camera. Because I, I know the shot you're talking about in a hereditary now. I have a very vivid image of it and it's it's really disorienting when it happens it's mm -hmm. like the camera's really movements are really smooth but mm -hmm. like you know going from like right side up to upside down it's disorienting and it puts you in annie's headspace really well mm -hmm. so that that is so it's a really motivated camera movement right and that is what's huge for me is like your camera moves 
Like, camera moves can be as sick as you want. Drone shots can be as sick as you want because you can fly it around everywhere. You can show anything you want. Mm -hmm. But if it's without motivation, it's pointless. Right. Like, Michael Bay, the guy who made, like, Transformers and stuff. Yeah. Blows everything up. He's just always (laughs) moving the camera for no reason. Mm Mm-hmm. And then same, I just watched on Netflix, have you heard of Red Notice with Ryan Reynolds, heard, The I Rock, and Gal Gadot? Yes. I, 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 uh, yeah. So I actually, I think I'm going to add that to my watch list. So I just watched that a couple weeks ago, and it's the same thing. Like, Ryan Reynolds and The Rock are in a Russian prison at one point, and, you know, to, there's a point where they have to climb this, like, the side of a mountain, pretty much, these rocks, and it's like, if you fall, you fall to their death. And so the camera's on them, and then it tilts down and shows how far the fall is and then tilts back to them. And I'm like, okay, I got it. I got a sense of space. If they slip and fall, they're going to die. Mm-hmm. But then the camera just, like, keeps moving, and it's, like, showing other parts of the wall. And it's all just rock. It's nothing of importance. There's no foreshadowing. It's just showing rocks on the wall, and it's like, oh, look at how we can swiftly move the camera. We're going to do a 360 around. Now you're seeing the front of Ryan Reynolds' face. Now here's the back of his head, but we never cut. We're just flying around. And I'm like, why? Why? Why not keep the camera in one position and just, like, let your actors work? Is it possible that he has intent and you just don't know what it is? I think that's impossible, but I, 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 would, <laughs> love to, I would love for somebody to watch the movie, watch the scene I'm talking about, or even watch a Michael Bay movie and tell me what the intent is. Because in Michael Bay, we watched an example in one of my classes, and um, it's just a conversation. And it's just in an apartment. Mm-hmm. And it's just Shia LaBeouf talking to his girlfriend in the scene, and he's like, oh, I'm going to be late for work. i got to get going. But Michael Bay is like, has the camera. He's like, I'm going to start at Shia's feet and bring it up and show his face, and then I'll wrap it around his head, and I'll show his girlfriend's reaction, and then I'll pan up to the ceiling so you can see more of what their apartment looks like. And then I'll just... Show the fridge over here so you can see a picture of Shia's dad, and then I'm just gonna show the door. And it's like, why, why? Like, set set the scene, give me some coverage, show what the actors look like in the space, and then just like, you don't. It's just unnecessary. Yeah. At some point too, and it's like the, uh, like, that's why I'm hesitant with like drone shots too. Like, they can be really really cool, but like. First of all, as somebody who's like, you know, watched a lot of things, been I've been making more things as of late too. It's like I can tell when something's a drone shot right away. Mm-hmm. So like I like when it's a nice drone shot that's a really, you know, s- extreme long shot that's like really establishing a space. You're like, okay, I get it. But then it's like, and let's fly in between some trees to get you over to this car. Oh, how, how's the car look? And now let's fly underneath and then we'll just like go back over the car. It's like at some point it's just overkill to me. Yeah. And it, like I said, I said earlier, I think less is more. And it's like, I think especially with like action movies and like IP, like intellectual property, it's just like, oh, how can we just like make this look like, uh, how can we make this look as cool as possible? And, and, and at the end of the day, it just ends up feeling like, like a GoPro ad or something. Mm-hmm. And it, it is just lame to me. Yeah. Like, mm, I don't know. I just <laughs> really, I just really, I can... I just want camera movements to like be cool and be purposeful. I've been a very big fan going back to the less is more. I think get out was the first movie I saw where they really utilized this. And there was a lot of them in raw, mm-hmm. which is the new the movie on Netflix that mm-hmm. you made me watch, which please watch it. If, 
if you're listening to this and you haven't seen Raw, watch Raw. It's from 2017. It's about a girl that goes to vet school and discovers she's a cannibal. And that's all you need to know. It's very unsettling, which I know you love, but I will not watch it. I do like movies that get under my skin. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I've really grown fond of shots that are very wide Mm -hmm. and throughout the scene do not move. Like the beginning of Raw, the car scene. Yeah. You know, where it's just, it's a wide shot and you're just, what's happening on screen is so small, Mm -hmm. but just you're letting, like you said, letting the actors work or, and I think, um, I know Ari Aster does a lot of these where you just, it's not a cut you're not cutting. It's just, and you're not moving the camera either. You're Mm -hmm. just like setting it up and letting your actors work. Um, Parasite also has one. If you remember, um, the kid, the, the the son of the family and the daughter of the family whose mm-hmm. house they're at. The the younger kids, like of the rich family you're talking about? The, the daughter of the rich family yes. and the son, right, because yep. he's tutoring yes. her. Yeah. And um, it's the scene where they're talking, and then they almost kiss. Or do they kiss? I don't know if they kiss they or do. they almost yeah, do. I think they do. But that whole scene is like three and a half minutes. There's not one cut. Sounded like a film student. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, uh-huh. when you that's sick. Oh, I know. And when you're watching movies and you notice them not cutting. Yeah. That's a good sign. Yeah. Man, dude, not cutting is so sick. Should I transfer to GVSU? Probably should, yeah. yeah. Um, dude, tell, so you should sick. tell your professors to listen to this, uh, this podcast. I will. Yeah, please I will. do. Please do. Um, Teddy Hershield, Albion <laughs> 24 Pre-Med, Biochem. So. Um, yeah, dude, not cutting. <laughs> so cool. It's yeah. so hard too. As some we as somebody who's now tried it in just uh, just for like a 40 second scene. Mm-hmm. How much has to go perfectly right? Yeah. Oh, it's so tough. Before you say anything, I don't know if you're going this way or not. I have not seen 1917 yet. I wasn't going to mention it or Birdman. I mean, it's cool. Birdman, I I have not watched either, but I've been told. But it's really cool. 1917 is really famous cool. for the one shot, isn't it? Well, yeah, not, not whole, famous, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, the whole movie is yeah. made to look like one shot. Yeah, it's yeah. really cool. And uh, yeah, I have mm-hmm. not seen that yet. It's it, We're going to watch it. It's on our nominations of our mm-hmm. movie club. I but saw uh, 1917 in theaters, and I remember when it ended, my friend that I saw it with, I was like, I told him, I was like, I'm either going to see that in theaters again, or I'm never going to watch it again. Because I know like that experience I got with it in the theater is better than anything I'd get at home, unfortunately. Really? So yeah. Okay. Um, but it's 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 cool. It's really cool. I think it's a little gimmicky, but it's still really cool. I. W- oh yeah, we were talking about long shots right before this too, like without yeah, yeah, cutting. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, there's this whole like old industry standard of like I mentioned the word earlier. I said coverage, which is like how your actors are positioned in a scene and like how you shoot the scene so that the audience is aware of the space around them. Mm -hmm. And like the old fashioned way to do it is wide shot, establish the space, make sure you show the characters in it. Then you cut to a medium shot, which is like, you know, waist up of the characters. And then you can go to close up. So it's like you go, you get consistently closer to the characters. So that way the audience isn't confused about the space. Mm -hmm. But now you're getting filmmakers like Ari Aster, like Bong Joon-ho, like uh, um, like Sean Baker, who has a new movie coming out next month called Red Rocket that I'm really excited about. Like Paul Thomas Anderson, who I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, you have these people who are just like, you can kind of, you can do whatever you want. Like, mm-hmm. 
as long as the audience like knows what's going on, you don't have to shoot it a certain way. Right. So they'll so they'll just put two characters in a room, leave the camera in one spot, and just not cut. And, the, and yeah. I think that's just like way more effective. Yeah. And so instead of doing it by the book, it's more real. Yeah, I yeah, yeah I think yeah, letting the camera roll is definitely way more real. Like the whole like shot reverse shot thing. Like if you and I, if there was a camera here recording you and I talking, mm-hmm. it's just like over your shoulder, then over my shoulder. It's just back and forth. It's like it gets monotonous. It gets repetitive. I I love just filmmakers that think outside the box and they're like, how can I film this differently? How can I do this differently than somebody has before? So that's why I love and or that's why I admire filmmakers that really go for it. That's why I love Raw so much. Um, the filmmaker who made that. She's a French woman. Her name's Julia like Ducarno. I'm probably like really butchering that but she's another movie that came out called titan or titane but it's my favorite movie of this year 2021 so far and she just her movies are really like they're stuffed with ideas and i think some people might that might be that might push them away a little bit they might especially with titane it's really there's a lot going on Mm -hmm. but like her visual approach oh my gosh dude she's (laughs) like She's doing things I've never seen, and she's like, she's messing with like color, and it's like, like w- there's a scene in uh, Titan that I can remember where like the whole scene just has a purple hue over it, like the whole room is just lit and everything is purple, and I'm like, why? But then at the same time, like I I can't look away. I yeah. just like my eyes are glued to the screen and they're not going anywhere else, and it's like, and it's just like so visually arresting, like, like she has a complete hold on me in both raw and titan where it's like however what whatever the runtime of this movie is she's got me for that and i'm not doing anything but watching it like raw you remember the opening party scene where it's like yes. you know they're, they're pulled out of their dorms and they're sent to this party the camera never cuts yeah and there's like 150 people in these small rooms yeah and she's just like walking around with the camera showing what this party is like showing how like scary of an environment this is for our lead character oh my god do you feel it as the <laughs> viewer dude I Whoa, also it's so sick. I see okay, see I'm not where you are yet cuz while I thought it was cool, I was just still stuck on the fact of okay, this woman's at a vet school. Why are they mm-hmm. pulling yeah. her out? You know, like well, like I yeah, the, I I had an, a slight issue with that the first time I watched it too, but I I I kind of cuz Titan has some things too where I'm like like part of the movie takes place at like a a fire department like a firehouse kind of mm-hmm. And these like all these dudes just like dancing together, and I'm like, this is kind of weird. Like, what's going on? So I think part of it's like a culture gap, because mm-hmm. you know the movies are set in France, mm-hmm. so that's kind of just what I chalk it up to. Mm-hmm. But still, I I like if she, any whatever she does next, I will do whatever it takes to see that as soon as I can, because like I think she's one of the most exciting new filmmakers working today. Really. Oh my god. I'm 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 putting all my chips in on Julia DeCarno, yes. She's okay. she's two for two in my book. But so, so are a lot of other filmmakers. I was gonna say I, I've I really like Ari Aster too. Oh yeah, Ari Aster's <laughs> awesome. I, I I like Hereditary a lot more than Midsommar. Yeah, I do too. Was, oh yeah, so quick funny story about Midsommar. I uh so there's this girl in one of my classes that was wearing a hereditary T shirt. Oh. I was like, Oh sick. And so in class in it, I was like, hey, that's like that's a cool shirt. I love that movie. Yeah. And she's like, oh, thanks, thanks. I was like, yeah, that's probably, you know, like, especially out of the last 10 years or so, that's definitely one of my favorite horror movies. And she's like, oh, me too. And I, like, love Ari Aster. And I was like, yeah, yeah. I was like, what would you think of Midsommar? And she's like, oh, I love it just as much. And I was like, oh, cool, cool. I was like, 
you know, I've only seen it once, but I just it didn't have the the initial effect that Hereditary had on me. Mm-hmm. Like both Hereditary and Midsommar, when I saw them for the first time, I was you know I walked away a bit confused. Like I didn't completely get it, mm-hmm. but I knew I could if I watched it again. And um, so like I told her, I was like, yeah, I just it just didn't have that like. And Midsummer didn't pull me back in. Like I really wanted to rewatch it as badly as I wanted to rewatch Hereditary when I first saw it. Right. And so I told her that I was like, "Yeah, it's just like, it's hard to explain. It just didn't get under my skin as much as Hereditary did." And she's like, and she just goes, "Well, it's because it's not for you." I was like, "Oh, <laughs> it's not." And she's like, "No, that's a movie for women." And I was like, "Oh, I'm okay. I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't really look at it like that." And she's like, mm-hmm. "What?" Yeah, and then she just, like, walked away. And I was like, wow. I was like, that was one of the weirdest encounters I've ever had. It sounded like it was going good. So did I. <laughs> yeah, she's really friendly, and I've never, ever had any issues with it, ever. And uh, she's super nice. I have no problems with her. But, like, that encounter, I was like, I've never had an encounter like that in my life. <laughs> I was just like, yeah, I just didn't really respond to it. Well, because it's not for you. I was like, whoa. It's like, this just went from, like, a 3 to an 11. I don't even know. Uh-huh. Like, okay, I guess there's a, a notch. Uh, there's a difference between men and women in that movie, but, like... I, I mean, I don't even know. I don't... I have not... I haven't seen Midsommar enough to really speak on it. Like, it's definitely... I mean, it's told from Florence Pugh's character's perspective. It's definitely mm-hmm. more of a breakup movie, and it's definitely, I think, dealing with her perspective of her own relationship and the trauma she has dealt with within her own family mm-hmm. that makes her feel a certain way about her relationship. And, like, I feel like I got that for the most part, but I don't know. It, it, I guess there's I, some stuff I missed. Uh, yeah. Maybe I need to rewatch it. And that was the thing. I was talking with my buddies, and everyone else liked Midsommar more than Hereditary. Interesting. And, I mean, I will say this. My first time watching Hereditary, I was like, oh, that was sick. Mm-hmm. Like, all right, that was cool. My first time watching Midsommar, especially right after, I was like, oh, my God, that was just absolutely mind-blowing like my first reaction was better for midsummer really but like you said like it didn't have that lasting impact where I, like the next day i was like you know i i really didn't mm-hmm. stick as much like stick to me as much as mm-hmm. hereditary did hereditary i like um did you see so you saw i updated uh did you see i updated my I top 10 up. oh no i'm gonna look at it right now well well okay so it's been it it's the same as it was yesterday, but my original top 10 hereditary was like seven or eight, and it's now three. Good. Because I watched it again. Good. Every time I watch it, it gets better and better. Um, I think I also need to get We Are Your Friends out of there. <laughs> yeah. that's a, It's weird among the picks that you have. I agree. I agree. Awesome. But um, I really like that movie. That's and awesome. <laughs> I'm glad that you love it. <laughs> well, I'm just saying. I know you're not a big fan, but I'm just saying that. Um, can I, yeah. I would like to ask some, what are your, so Interstellar, The Martian, I know you like Arrival. How do you feel more towards those sci-fi? Yeah. Where it's based on science or. Uh, so I like my sci-fi like okay. deep and heavy. Mm-hmm. Like I like it really thematic. So I would much rather watch a. Blade Runner, Arrival, Ex Machina, then a, um, 
the Martian. Mm-hmm. Or I'm trying to think, because I think the line of what sci-fi is now is so blurred. But yeah, because like I th- I love the Martian. I think it's extremely entertaining, mm-hmm. and I really love what Ridley Scott does with that. And I love Matt Damon in that movie. I think he's a great main character, and he's super accessible. And I think it's a really fun movie to watch. Mm-hmm. But you know, when it's done, I'm just like. Like, I'm happy. I'm like, dang, that was good, and I'm really glad I watched that. That was a good way to spend two hours and 20 minutes. And that's kind of it, mm-hmm. you know. But then, like I said, I, I like movies that challenge my way of thinking. It's like Arrival and Blade Runner. Like, you know, Blade Runner, when I first watched it in high school, I, and I was like, you know, what does it mean to be human, you know? <laughs> so, and, you know, like, that was my first, like, real taste into, like, heavier sci-fi and yeah, and I think Arrival and Arrival is I think really underrated, and I wish more yeah, people talked about I gotta it in, revisit in, that. in the realm of like great sci-fi. And you know that was actually one of the movies that I showed to my roommates. That was like a universal miss. And they, they all missed it. They, well, and I mean, not that they didn't get it, just like they didn't like it. You liked, like you liked my top ten list. I did. <laughs> I'm trying to I'm trying to build your profile for you. Um, um, but yeah. Like, because I showed them Whiplash, I showed them Prisoners, Nightcrawler, all these movies, and they're like, dude, these are sick. And mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, I know. That's why I showed them to you. <laughs> and I was like, just wait till you guys see Arrival. Arrival is sweet. And then I showed it to them, and they're like, like dude, like, nothing happened in that movie. I was like, <clears throat> what do you mean nothing happened? Yeah. It's like, time is nonlinear. Do you get it? And they're like, well, like, yeah. And I was like, now, like, let's get into the question of, like, if you knew that you were going to have a child that was going to die of an illness at the age of, like, 10 or whatever, would you still have that child? And then they're like, well, and some of them were like, yeah, and others were like, well, no. And then I'm like, see, now let's discuss. <laughs> and it's like, I was trying to get them to, like, think outside the box a little bit. And, I mean, I mean, they're really smart. And they were, they were, uh, and they were like, they were like, yeah, it's an interesting question, but. They're like at the end of the day, it just like wasn't as entertaining as the other ones. Yeah. And you know, I personally find Arrival really entertaining, but I can see how a lot of people like don't. It's slow, and it's like, and it's like the whole movie is like a really like blue, like color tone to it. It's like, mm-hmm. it's like like Arrival is like you're being like tucked in, like to bed. Mm-hmm. There's like no action. It's all talking, and it's like these revelations are completely dialogue driven. And, like, yeah, they're aliens, but, like, all you see is, like, their tentacles. And and so it's it's slow, and it's not for everybody. Yeah. And, but I, I, I and, you know, but that, appeal, that appeals to me, and I just freaking loved it when I saw it. And it's just really stuck with me, and it's a, it's a yearly rewatch for me. And, yeah, I can't say enough good things about that movie. I have to uh, revisit with my new way of looking at movies, because the first time I watched it, I was the same, mm-hmm. where I was just like, it was cool. But I, I, I didn't get into it as much. But I got to try it now. Yeah. My new way of thinking. I want to go back to what you said, though, about uh, no action, all dialogue, and just, mm-hmm. like, there's, it's just, what with what's being said, you're so, I'll just stop talking. Moneyball. Spit. <laughs> oh, it's the greatest sports movie of all time, period. Yeah. I mean, okay, first of all, I'm, I'm a big guy. I'm like, I make a lot of my friends based on quoting movies. Mm-hmm. And so mostly it's comedy, but like, if I've had people like just rip a Moneyball quote to me, and I'm like, I'll turn my head and I'll be like, is that? 
is that Moneyball? <laughs> and they're like, well, yeah. And I'm like, let's go. Like we're buddies. Let's go. Moneyball is the best. I think it's I think it's Brad Pitt's best performance. I th- well, I, mm, I think it's the best use of Brad Pitt's persona and his physicality, because okay. like he is, uh, he's every he is like, he just perfectly embodies Billy Bean. And I think Jonah Hill. That's Jonah Hill's. I think first serious turn and like his first Oscar nom, which he got like before Wolf. And I think he's excellent in it, dude. And I think the baseball scenes in that movie, even yeah. though there aren't a ton, like. It's hard to make baseball look realistic in movies, and like this, they're still flawed in this movie, but they're better than pretty much any other baseball movie. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know if there's a single scene in any sports movie, and in, in fact, I can confidently say there isn't a single scene in any sports movie that gives me greater chills than when Scott Hatterberg hits a walk-off home run to get 20 consecutive wins. Like before, I'm going out on a Friday night. I will throw that scene on to get psyched <laughs> up, and then I'll and then I'll leave the apartment because that's how much of an effect that movie has on me. And like I said earlier, when I like I I multitask when I watch movies. I want to make it clear that the, I think the most important thing is making is like is allowing a movie to have an emotional effect on you. Yeah, Moneyball is another one of those movies where every time I watch it, I forget I'm watching a movie. And as you know, it helps as somebody who's you know, extremely interested in baseball and, you know, loves baseball. But like every time I watch that movie, it's like, I wish it was seven hours long because mm-hmm. I could listen to the dialogue. Cause I think that's one of Sorkin's best scripts too. just them talking about baseball. Like that's so sick. <laughs> like, yeah, it, it, I don't know. It's just like, but, it, but it's a sports movie, but most of it is off field, off, the field. O- off the field. Yeah. And, yeah. and, at the, and you know, at the end of the day, it's a very like human story. We get like, I think the movie is very metaphorical. I mean, it's about a man who's like, whose life isn't really what it wants to be mm-hmm. or what he wants it to be, Billy Bean. And it's like how he thinks outside the box to get his life back on track. That's why we get so much stuff with his daughter in that mm-hmm. movie too, which I think works really well. And I think she gra- she gives a great child performance, which is hard to do. I just think there's so much to admire about the movie. In the music in that movie, we talked about score, how mm-hmm. you're not even supposed to notice it and I how it, and how, but how it completely you. dictates how you feel. Oh, nails. It's a nail gun in that movie. And also and even though it's not necessarily the <laughs> score, but it's a it's a out it's a song used it's on the soundtrack. The song they use when Hatterberg hits that home run. Oh my god, dude. It's an eleven minute song. Yeah. The the real song. It's called the Mighty Rio Grande. I forget who it's by. But I'll listen I listen to that in the car regularly. All eleven minutes and it's just like and I can just picture like the beats in the movie and I'm like Oh, this beat comes right when the ball lands in the stands, and I'm like, oh, and then I can just like feel the chills just like riding up my arms, and I'm like, and I'm just by myself in my Ford Taurus, <laughs> it, but it's so sick, and that's like the power of movies. And every time I watch that movie, I get so fired up and just like, reminded of how good it is. Yeah, and dude, it's and like I said though, it's so quotable too. Like, I like my dad, and I like quote that movie a lot because he loves it like pretty much just as much as I do, and you know. And it, it doesn't get talked enough for like how funny it is. Moneyball is a really funny movie. It is, yeah. Where because like he, he gets in an argument with his head scout, and then he's like, yeah, "I'm not gonna fire you." And his head scout's like, "Fuck you, Billy." And he's like, "Now I will." <laughs> and he storms off, and he wa- and he just peeks. Brad Pitt's character just peeks his head in his office. He's like, "I forget the character's name." He's like, "Hey, you ever played baseball before?" And he's like, "I played a little t-ball when I was younger." He's like, "Congratulations, your new head scout." <laughs> and it's like little shit like that. I freaking love, dude. And then I love the ending. Is so funny too. With the, the Eucalyptus home run, or yeah. not the Eucalyptus, just the the fat guy that hits yeah, the home run. Yeah, yeah, 
little, it's a little on the nose, I think, for hammering a theme home, but it works so well because Jonah Hill and Brad Pitt have such great chemistry together. Yeah. Where he's like, he hit a home run and he didn't even know it. That's a cool scene, too. Yeah. I really like that. And it, it, uh, that's just, like, the chemistry of Pitt and Jonah Hill. Like, that is something I never expected them to have, but they do. Yeah. And, oh, man. I want to watch it now. I might go watch it. I, I too. I just just say I figured we should end on a on a note because we were talking about like pretty much all my favorite movies. Mm-hmm. I was like, I definitely got to hit one that I know oh, you yeah, love, dude. Uh, you I like Uncut Gems? Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah. I, I love a lot of the movies we yeah. talked about today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but uh, oh, Moneyball, dude! I'm so <laughs> I'm so psyched now. I just want to <laughs> run through a wall. All right. Well, I but before we get going, uh, so you're making a movie. When's it gonna be done? Um, our first cut will be, I'm trying to think of the exact, I believe December 1st, and then our second cut will be December 8th, which is technically like the final cut because that's when it's due for our class, but you know, it's always a work in progress, but I, I guess like the <coughs> best version of it to our capability for now will probably be December 8th, and then we'll try to get it up on either YouTube or Vimeo. I would, I would love to watch it. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. ambitious. I'm yeah. excited for you to see it. Okay. How long I produced is it, gonna be? it. Um right around eight minutes. Okay. I'd say. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's fun. I'm excited for you to see it. Uh let's let's make one of our own, huh? How about? Let's do let's it. Let's huh? do it. Let's, let's talk ideas. Huh? Let's get some I'm coffee. <laughs> let's do it. Let's grab sure. a cup. Sure. Mm-hmm. Well, it's been a pleasure to have you on again. I appreciate it. You uh you know a lot about movies. Yeah, that's it. You know, that's <laughs> you know what? That's my party trick. <laughs> And it, you know, it's kind of a crutch, too, because, like, I love movies so much where it's kind of like I'll meet somebody new. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, what's up? I'm like, hey. And it's like, what's your name? I'm like, yeah, yeah. And then, like, it's just like a moment of silence. I'm like, so what's your favorite movie? <laughs> and it's like, like, that's all I got. <laughs> Watch this. Die Hard. 88. Ah, mm-hmm. see? You can do it. Mm-hmm. That's that's my real party <laughs> trick. And like, well, you should. I've I've had circles around me before of like ten people, and they're all just spewing movies at me. That's sick. Well, it was an absolute pleasure having you on, and uh, we'll, I'll get you on again. You yes, know I will. I'm always down to be on. Special thanks to Jake. Thanks for having him thanks, on. Teddy. Yep, yep. And uh, stay tuned for next another talking with Ted coming soon. <laughs>